even paper even for kings and clerks. Now Paul feels a need to, to distinguish them uh, from all. Now could it be because these elitists, these purity <coughs> teachers, were in effect discouraging Christians from praying for the corrupt and immoral government uh, of Ephesus? Now after all, all these, all these, you know, kings and, and whoever they were, they were serving the chief evil, perhaps even the Emperor Nero back then. And the reason why Paul highlights the prayer for kings and high officials is the, the, the advance of the gospel. So that the church could get on with her task spreading the gospel. Did you see in verse 2? That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. <coughs> So not that we could have an easy, careless, safe life, no, but so that we could get peacefully with our task of spreading the gospel. Now it makes sense, therefore, to pray for kings, for the kings and, and the government, to even then become Christians, doesn't it? It is really better for all people if the kings and governments and officials are Christian. Now, I'm part of this closed Facebook uh, clergy group called Edge, which so sometimes people say it's, it's pastors on Edge, but it's not the real <laughs> it, it's, it, I believe it's evangelical discussion and gracious engagement, kind of. Uh, um, and it is mostly British, but not exclusively. Anyway, in light of the death of Her Majesty the Queen, someone shared a column by a, a Jewish author in The Times called Charles Shouldn't Fear Defending the Faith. So King Charles III. And here is a quote from this Jewish author. Listen in. As a Jew, I feel better protected by a king who heads on an established church than one who vows to defend all religions. I observe that, in this country at least, the religious practices and freedoms of Jews are much more likely to be interfered with by those with contempt for all religion than by those with an alternative faith. If kings and governments are Christian, it is better for all people. Well, I think Christians in Ephesus would be able to relate to that, wouldn't they? But instead of not praying for secular or even hostile government, Paul urges them, urges them to do just that. Pray for all. Pray for kings. Pray for high officials. Now, I don't know what it is like in the countries where you come from. And we come here from, from many different countries. But I guess it doesn't change the application very much, doesn't it? Pray for all people, yes, even for secular, liberal um, government or in the West. Yes, pray even for radical, militant government in the East and everything in between. Why? So that the gospel would advance. But notice another reason to pray for kings and clerks in verse 2, towards the end of it. That we may lead a godly and dignified life. 
Paul deeply cares for the reputation of the church. Unlike these certain persons in, in Ephesus, Paul wants that both church leaders and church members would live an exemplary lives in society so that the outsiders would, chapter 3, think well of them. Chapter 5, the adversaries would have no reason for slander. Chapter 6, that the name of God and the teaching would not be reviled. That's why. That's why. Now, I can think of a few examples in my own country in the past few years where the church leaders and the Christian leaders, instead of encouraging the church to pray for the government in difficult times, actually encourage the church to resist the government. I know the whole COVID-related government power overreach is a sensitive, it's a debatable subject. I know that. But friends, it doesn't change the big application. It doesn't. A need to pray for kings and clerks is so that the reputation of the church would be godly and dignified as Christ our Lord deserves it. No reason for slander. No reason for, uh, for, for the church and the teaching to be reviled from the outside. It's called, Paul deeply cares for the reputation of the church. But why, why pray for all people? Why pray for kings and, 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 and high officials? What is the, the, the big motivation? And next we see, we should pray for all people because God desires the salvation of all people. That's the big motivation. Look, look, at, look at verse 3. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, God hasn't reserved his salvation for some elite, secret group with a secret knowledge who have somehow mastered the, you know, the knowledge of God or the law of God. You might have found yourselves in, in your lives, maybe in a specific period in one of those groups. It is a, it's a wretched feeling eventually. No, Paul insists that God has made plain his desire for the whole world. Salvation for all people. God loves the world that he created. One of the verses that everybody knows, almost everybody in the Bible, is John 3, 15 and 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that, we, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Scriptures are abundantly clear. God loves the world. There is no narrowing on God's behalf. He passionately, earnestly, wholeheartedly desires the salvation of all people. Apparently, because of the false teaching in the Ephesian church, Paul has to go out of his way to emphasize 
how God feels about people. All people. Now, is Paul saying here, therefore, that all people will be saved? That's not what Paul is saying here. In fact, that is not what John in 3.16 is saying. Yes, God desires all people to be saved passionately, earnestly, wholeheartedly, but the salvation will come only to those who believe in Jesus. Just listen again. That whoever believes in Him should not perish. And in order that the world might be saved through Him. You see, there is no narrowing on the, of the lens on behalf of God. If someone is not saved, it is not because God, refu God refuses it to him. The, the gospel is out there for everyone. But because they don't want to come to Jesus. Most clearly we can see that in Luke chapter 30. If you want to glance with me in Luke chapter 13 verse 34, you can. Luke 13, 34. That's the most clearest display of that principle. Jesus, towards the end of his life, says this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hand gathers her brood under her wings. I love you, come to me. Everyone, says Jesus. And then he finishes. And you were not willing. Do you see how Jesus pours out his heart for the salvation of Jerusalem? There is no reservation on Jesus' behalf. But they were not willing, Jesus says. It breaks God's heart that beats for the salvation of all people. In the same way, the heart of the church of God should be for the salvation of all. And that should be expressed in prayers for all. Sharing the good news of Jesus with all. Now friends, it is totally understandable that in this process, we will feel the same frustration that Jesus felt as he wept for Jerusalem. The rejection of Jesus on, um, uh, on behalf of, of the people will break uh, our heart too. Now, just think about it. It may, be, it may be that you have been praying for a long time for someone. Someone in your extended family. Or maybe it is your friend since the secondary school, which is my case. Or it could be your friend from university now, or work that you currently are praying for, but nothing happens. They remain indifferent to Jesus, and it just breaks our heart. And you might be asking yourself, well, will they ever believe? Will they ever come to the knowledge of the truth? And friends, the answer is that we don't simply know. That remains hidden from us. 
in the eternal decree of God. Only He knows who will eventually believe and come to Jesus. That remains hidden in God. Theologians sometimes call it the hidden will of God. Only God knows that. Paul says we should not be concerned for that, really. The salvation of all is not our business. That is God's business. Praying for all people, on the other hand, is our business. The grace church should always stick to what is revealed and thus have the desire for the salvation of all. Because that is what God desires. That is what God has revealed to us. So keep earnestly praying for the salvation of your friends, your, your family, your work colleagues, your university friends. Now, you might feel a little foggy at this point, and that's alright. On one hand, you say God desires the salvation of all, but not all will be saved. But we still have to pray for the salvation of all, and that is all right, friends. I don't mean to cross every T, I don't mean to cross or to dot every I this morning, because I don't think that is what Paul does in this passage this morning. He doesn't satisfy all our questions here. He simply responds to the sectarian, elitist, inward-looking mentality of false teachers that have lost the wider vision of God that the, that the church should have. Now having said that, Paul really, really wants us to be sure God desires all people to be saved. He wants us to be sure of that. So how can we? How can we still be sure that God desires that? And the answer is in, in verse 5. Because Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all. Glance at verse 5. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all. Which is the testimony given at the proper time. Do you see what Paul does here? Again, he, go, he goes out of his way to proclaim the universal truth, the way of salvation for all people everywhere in the first century polytheistic Ephesus, in the 21st century polytheistic India, in the 21st century monotheistic Islam, in relativistic Western Europe. This universal truth remains the same. There is only one way. Why? Because there is only one God. Why? Because there is only one mediator. A man Christ Jesus. Jesus says in John, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
I think we should be familiar with the idea that in order, in order to get to someone very, very important, we have to go through the mediator, don't we? Someone with a, a necessary clearance for that. Now, I'm currently having my first tooth implant being done. I, I'm very old, I know, I know. Uh, and for that, I go to this RSU, you know, medical clinic. But to get to the doctor, who's very important, I have to register with a receptionist, a mediator. But that's not it. I can't get to the doctor straight away. So that another nurse comes, she calls out my name. And she brings me, she takes me to the doctor. Again, the mediator, we are familiar with the concept. So you can't simply waltz into the president's or a prime minister's office. Well, I mean, of course you can, but you will have to deal with the security service, of course. You have to, you know, that, that, that's, that's what you have to deal with. You can't just waltz in their presence unless you are their son. Unless the Son takes you with Him. And friends, that is what Paul says here. The only way to God is through His Son. Mediator. Christ Jesus. Your audience with God is the most, most costly thing that God ever did. Remember John 3.16? God so loved you that He gave His beloved Son for you. And in 2.6 Paul expands on the meaning for gave. Plus in verse 6, Jesus gave Himself as a ransom. The most costly thing that God has ever done. You know what ransom means, don't you? It is not simply something very valuable that you give to someone. That's, that's, a gift. that's called a gift. You know, I'm just, I, I give it to you. Ransom means something slightly different. It's an exchange price. Something valuable you give in exchange or for something in place of something or someone. Jesus gave his life by dying on the cross on behalf and instead of all, says Paul. Again, Paul is very, very keen to speak against any, any narrowing of, of the scope and reach of the sacrifice of Jesus. Because that is what the elitist teachers in Ephesus actually did. Paul reasons, if Christ could save me, he can save everyone. If he could save such a sinner as me, he can save any sinner. And that is how we should treat the work of Christ, my friends. The cross of Christ 1 John 2, 2. He, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins, that satisfaction for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins, John says, 
of the whole world. You might be sitting and wondering this morning if you have anything to do with Jesus. If you have anything to do with this Christianity that is presented in the Bible. And Paul would say, and is saying, yes, yes, you certainly have. You can be forgiven, you can be cleansed, you can be washed clean. And that is because God loves you. That is because God desires you to be saved and come to the knowledge of Jesus being the only way to God. That's what God desires. To understand for you that He provides a fully sufficient ransom for you and the whole world. Come to Him. And you will find rest in Jesus. Will you? Now friends, how does that change the way we, we view people around us? He's not, therefore, every single person very, very precious, very valuable. He's not, therefore, Christ able to reach down to every single person with his offer of the forgiveness of sins purchased at the cross. Is he not able? He is. So tomorrow morning, as you walk in your lecture hall, as you walk in your office or your school or your RSU clinic, tell yourself Christ's ransom is sufficient for all. For my uni mates, for my work colleagues. As you pass down to work, Christ's um, ransom is sufficient for my grumpy neighbour. Christ's ransom is sufficient for my teacher. Even for, for this guy behind the BMW who crosses at the red light. That's very hard for me. But even for him. God desires the salvation of all people. So I need to be praying for all people. The vast love of Christ for the sinners was the reason Paul was appointed a preacher and apostle for the nations, as he closes in verse 7. And so the church that is built on the apostles' teaching should be outward-looking, outward-looking, desiring, praying for the salvation of all. So let me close um, the prayer. That is the second prayer in Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. Let us pray. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints 
what is the breadth, the length, and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so, our loving Heavenly Father, considering the love of Christ, the sheer vastness and sufficiency of His ransom of the, on the cross, and how you therefore desire all people to be saved, please, please make us a church that desires the same, same the salvation of all people, and so make us a praying church, we thank you, that we constantly pray for all people, for kings and for clerks. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.